Hey, Monica. Hey, Jennifer. Tell everybody about our guest today. So we spoke with Sarah Milgan Toffler, the president and CEO of Children and Nature Network. This is an incredible organization whose mission is to increase equitable access to nature so children and the environment can both thrive. Sarah's work focuses on building relationships and networks from city governments to the corporate sector to fulfill that mission. She is also the recipient of multiple awards, including the George B. Hartzog Jr. Environmental Award, I hope I said that right, and the Fran B. Manella Award for Sustained and Innovative Achievement by a Woman in the Management of North America's Historic and Cultural Heritage. Woo! Mouthful. That is such a mouthful. So in short, we were obviously super excited to speak with her. Yes, exactly. So you don't have to have listened to our past episodes to be fully on board with this one, but I think so many of the things we touched on with Sarah parallel our conversations with Bill Browning about health and wellness and Tim Beatley about ethics of cities and how nature plays such an important role. Absolutely. Let's get to our conversation with Sarah Milligan-Toffler. Hey, Sarah. Thanks for coming in today. Hi, Monica. Nice to see you. <laughs> hey, Jennifer. Oh, my gosh. I'm so happy to be in a room with all these amazing people I know today. today, you guys, this is the first time we've been back in um, the, quote, studio. And you might actually hear a little bit of thunder outside. Uh, nature is trying to get in. <laughs> Nature's um, But we're really speaking. excited to be together. And we're really excited to have you, Sarah. Uh, well, thanks so much for having me. It's exciting to be here. Um, so one of the things I wanted to sort of kick off with is always asking, you know, your background. We absolutely are huge fans of the Children in mm-hmm. Nature Network. Tell us what you do and what is the Children in Nature Network for our listeners? Sure. Well, first, I have the tremendous privilege of being the president and CEO of the Children in Nature Network. I've been with the network for almost eight years. And before that, I worked for 30 years in nonprofit Mm -hmm. uh, management, uh, really in the world of getting kids connected to nature. So I've been doing it for a real long time. And uh, I just moved to Georgia in 2020. I'm super excited to be here. Moved here with my husband and uh, his mom. Right. And... I just love being, uh, exploring the outdoors here, running the trails. I'm out there every day and it's just awesome. It feels well, so good, doesn't it? It does. I just did it right before we, uh, we just joined together. So. And I was going to say that we're all in Serenby and Jennifer's at Serenby with us today and, um, Sarah has moved to Serenby. So. I know. I can see everyone looking at me right now. I know. Now we're waiting for you to, to, you know, here. New York know. City. You can I come know. visit whenever you want. Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> that. I try now that I feel like we're at the light end of the tunnel of the pandemic. I feel like I can come a little more often. So, That's Sarah, right. give us a little more about your background um, in nature yes. and sort of children's work before you got to Children in Nature Network. Yeah, Tell I me what you were for doing for almost 25 years for an organization called Wilderness Inquiry. Mm. And we uh, do, well, they do wilderness trips all over the world. Really introducing people with disabilities, Mm. um, uh, young people that don't have regular access to nature. That's the whole mission. And um, so, yeah, I worked, I worked my way, you know, kind of through that organization and learned the ropes of running a nonprofit. And Mm -hmm. then when I had the opportunity to come to Children in Nature, it was just a, a great fit and super excited about doing this work. Can you share with us the actual mission behind the Children in Nature Network? Absolutely. So I'm going to start first with our vision. Our vision really is of a world where all children have access to the benefits of nature everywhere they live, learn, and play. And to to reach that goal of all children, we our mission is really to increase equitable access to nature because we know that too often a child's zip code, their race, their ability level impacts whether they have access to nature or not. 
And so we really need to focus on that equity question. Yeah. And that is something that I don't think that a lot of people recognize. Mm -hmm. Um, They just maybe make the assumption that there's parks everywhere or, you know, you access to a trailhead or you can go on a little camping trip. Exactly. But I think that's something that is really important and that we've talked about with other people is like what makes equitable access. So I'm super curious to talk about that today. I know. And especially going off the heels of like talking to Tim Beatley Mm -hmm. about being ethical and what creates an ethical city. So uh, the gateway, I think, is nature. But how do we then you know, incorporate the nature to parks and to access. And I think that's a big conversation of like, how do we do it? And what do we need to do to kind of just bridge that story of nature has to be an equitable source to all living people, mm-hmm. no matter your ability or disability and or where you live. And I think it's really important that we're having this conversation. The work that you do is so important, especially now coming out of COVID. It's, um, mm-hmm. it's impactful and important. So why is nature important for children of all ages? Well, the same reason it's important for all of us, right? Because mm-hmm. we know that nature... Uh, helps reduce stress, improve our mental and physical health, helps us focus, helps helps us concentrate. Uh, we know that we're um, just our well-being is supported by being connected to nature. And all of that's true for children. Uh, but the other reason that it's so important to think of this for children is that we know that habits established early in life carry into adulthood. So mm-hmm. if we don't start that um, engagement and having kids just feel comfortable, you mm-hmm. know, um, exploring, asking questions, falling down and knowing what different plants are, it's hard to sort of pick that up once you're into adulthood. And the last thing I'll say about why it's so important is that uh, research really shows, and there's a growing body of research around nature connection and brain development. Mm-hmm. And while it's great news that there is, you know, plasticity and we can, we can continue to develop our brains throughout our life, we see that children who don't have regular access to nature, actually the, the, um, white matter in their brain does not develop normally. And so that impacts their ability to perform in school, to concentrate, all kinds of things. So, um, we really just need to make sure that, um, parents know how how important it is for their children's healthy development to get them outdoors, you know, as often as they can. I'm so glad you brought that up because we kind of overlook the actual impact and just say, oh, it's just there mm-hmm. and will always be there. But it's like maybe on the weekends or mm-hmm. somewhere else. But I'm so glad you said that because it's so important for the children's development. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's just easy. Oh, sorry, Monica. No, no, I was ahead. just, you know, I think we often think, too, that it means like we need to get in a car, we need Mm -hmm. to get on a bus or a train and go out to nature. We have resources on the Children and Nature Network's website where you can do kind of connection to nature from a balcony if you happen to live in New York City Mm -hmm, like you do, Jennifer, mm -hmm. and you maybe don't have, you know, regular access or easy access to a park. You can look at the birds, you can look at the trees, you can look outside and just notice what's out there. And that... It's better to be immersed, but even that is, it helps you um, engage with your environment and it really, you really get the benefits from that. I love that. Like just, it's the noticing because we often overlook it because it's a bird or it's this or it's a plant, but we're never really engaging to right. say, what, I wonder what that is right. or just to be curious exactly. and explore and wonder. And yes. that's the gift of the witnessing of mm-hmm. the nature around us. And that's why I think 
you know, you're teaching that and it's so important. Well, and you said before we got on, you know, people will think, oh, well, you're just a nature person. Like you like nature, just like somebody else likes yeah. movies. And I thought you had a great response to that. And so do you want to sort of posh, throw that back out at us? Like people aren't just, we shouldn't be thinking of it as this thing that you are, or you aren't right. Right. Well, and and whether you like nature or not doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> what we what we, and hopefully people do grow grow to to like it. But I, we are we are part of nature. Actually, mm-hmm. we are wired. Our brains are wired to respond to natural forms. And uh, clearly, now we're learning that our brains are wired to you know to respond to nature and develop um, with nature. So mm-hmm. it's. It's less about whether you like it or not and more about just recognizing that, you know, we really need those opportunities to kind of reconnect with our source. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, I like that also, you know, it's not whether you like it or not. That doesn't really matter. Like we need it. We're part of it. Mm-hmm. And and I think of a lot of people who think of nature like I'm I'm scared. It's so dark in the mm-hmm. country. Or well, what if there's bugs? Or is there something that's going to eat me on the trails? That we somehow culturally have gone from you know a community of people who are very comfortable in nature to a group of people that are very scared of nature, if that's Mm -hmm. a way. And I don't know if that has something to do with the historic barriers, you know, to that prevent people from coming into nature. Like, is there, is it an education? Like, what is it that sort of stops people from embracing it? Well, that's a big question, Monica. (laughs) That's a huge one. And I think that maybe I'll answer that in a couple of ways, because I think that, um, you know, historically, you, you know, th- there is a healthy fear of nature. I mean, you need to know what's around you. There are animals that could harm you, you mm-hmm. know, like that, mm-hmm. that. And that's that's in our, you know, ancient history. Right. right. Um, so it's important to, to be aware of what the dangers are. But as obviously, as we've built up cities and done those kinds of things, we've tended to there's the thunder. I know. Um, <laughs> we actually have created communities that really are intentionally disconnecting us from nature. And I think we're just now realizing that we kind of threw the baby out with the bathwater mm-hmm. on that one and that we need to rewild our our cities. We need to bring nature back into, um, you know, housing developments and urban centers and, you know, creating outdoor places where people can work and just all of the things that we we're now seeing help to support people being, you know, happy, healthy, mm-hmm. you know, their best selves, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think a big part of that is policy, right? Yeah. A lot of it's policy. A lot of it is recognizing, just even recognizing that it's something that's important. We take it for granted. Mm-hmm. And I'll use this example because I think, um, if you go into a community, let's say you're, you, you talk with any community, any um, municipal leaders, city leaders and say, you know, what about parks? Oh, we'd love our parks and our, the communities. We all love our parks. But if you look at city budgets, it tells you that they don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the values follow the money. And so what I would love to see is that we fund parks like their public health infrastructure and education infrastructure that they really are. Mm-hmm. That would really communicate that uh, that we value our parks. Parks are the first thing to get cut mm-hmm. in terms of budgets and staff 
and all of that. So, uh, but we've seen with with COVID, with the pandemic, it is part of our public health infrastructure. And I I know park directors who just said, like we don't have the capacity to respond to the need, and mm-hmm. that's that's a funding decision, that's mm-hmm. a policy decision, mm-hmm. and. You know, we're working, we're not there yet, but, you know, how do we kind of flip that switch so that people start to see, like, no, like, if we don't invest here, we are going to be paying down the line Mm -hmm. for that. Well, and I think that's a good point. You know, you're saying paying down the line, like kids, if the white matter isn't developing, we're going to pay for those kids are just not going to be at their full potential. That's right. Mm -hmm. We'll be right back after a quick break. Jennifer, guess what's coming up and where we get to hang out. What's that, Monica? The (laughs) Biophilic Leadership Summit. It's back this March 24th through 26th. Oh my gosh, I cannot wait to see you in person again. It's been way too long. I know, me too. And we invite all our listeners to come to this year's summit. We're going to be exploring biophilic placemaking and how we use biophilic principles to promote health, happiness, and vitality in public spaces. Yes, and I was just reading over the schedule, which I'm very excited about. There are so many great speakers and panels. And when you get to join us, I'll be doing a nature walk and moderating a wonderful panel on activating community spaces with two incredible women, an architect and an urban planner. So this summit is put on by the Biophilic Institute and Biophilic Cities Project. So you can also come meet all of the leading experts in biophilia. And in addition to all incredible multiple presentations, we're going to have all sorts of great farm to table meals, plus cocktails, some book signings and lots of networking, which is always a favorite. And it's going to be at your and my favorite place, the Inn at Serenby. Yep, that's one of my favorite places, as you know. So join us in Sarah B for the 6th Annual Biophilic Leadership Summit from March 24th to March 26, 2024. And you can learn more about the summit and register today at biophilicsummit.com. That's biophilicsummit.com. We hope to see you there. We'll see you soon. Bye, Jen. Bye. I was going to say, I was going to ask... Have you seen a greater interest because of COVID in what you're doing and that people are saying, I need to have more access and how do we do these policies or change the policies? We really have. Um, I think people are waking up to the importance of of nature and the outdoors. I think municipal leaders are. I think families are recognizing this. I'm gonna t- I'll talk in a minute about the um, the huge interest. There's a moment right now, I think, for outdoor learning and green schoolyards. But I I do want to point to one thing that is actually concerning that folks need to know that the um, we're seeing some early research come in about COVID. Um, These studies are available on the Children and Nature Network website. Um, While adults are spending more time getting outdoors and connecting to nature, we're seeing that children are spending even less time than they were before outdoors. Oh, wow. And it's having pretty significant impacts on their mental health, on anxiety levels, on their ability to focus, 
kids are, you know, while they've been learning online and all of that, they're now, there's huge anxieties about going back into the classroom. And so we, we have some work to do to help ensure that those kids um, have, have an opportunity to, to get back outdoors. But we, and parents really need to be paying attention to sort of, um, you know, they're on, on zoom all day for school mm-hmm. and then, um, right, there's know, no PE because yeah, yeah. you know, what do you do for PE? I mean, you know, some right. pushups in your bedroom. I exactly. heard the same thing. Like friends from around the country are saying, I can't get my kids outside. My teenagers will not leave yes. their bedroom mm-hmm. yeah, because they're on zoom and they're on their devices yep. and it's been really challenging. Mm-hmm. It's really challenging. Well, and all of their friends are on those devices. And mm-hmm. so, you know, you're also finding that they don't, they're, they haven't felt safe right. to mm-hmm. intermingle and be social with other kids. That's so, right. you know, and especially, hopefully now we're going to get the vaccine for 12 to 15, but it is kind of interesting because there's no social life for That's them, right. you know, yeah. especially the older ones. Yeah. So, But there is this, um, there is a huge interest right now in, in outdoor learning. And I can give an example of, um, you know, what we're seeing is that if, you know, those schools that want to get kids back into in-person instruction, if you use that space outdoors, I mean, we talk about ventilation. Mm -hmm. Yes, sure. We can get good ventilation, open windows, but what about outside? Like Mm -hmm. there's the best ventilation out there. So, um, so schools are really recognizing that that's going to be a way to be able to get back into in-person learning. But then, you know, what we're hoping is that we can help to support them building that infrastructure to continue it after COVID, because we know that it really helps kids, uh, you know, be better and Mm -hmm. learn better. And they just, you know, they, they feel better when they, when they spend time outside there, there's lots of evidence that outdoor learning really supports improved Mm -hmm. academic outcomes, especially for those kids that are struggling the most in school. They, Mm -hmm. they, they benefit even more. So we are working on a national initiative in partnership with the National League of Cities. We've got 12 cities right now, city school district partnerships that have, that will be part of a national cohort that are working to create district-wide mm. green schoolyard efforts. So every student in a, in a school district would have that opportunity. And right here in Georgia, uh, exciting to say that Atlanta Public Schools in partnership with the city of Atlanta and then DeKalb County and mm. uh, Decatur mm-hmm. uh, School District it, are part of that cohort. And they were selected out of over 50 um, partnerships around the country wow. to be be part of the cohort. So very exciting. And there's, and it's building on, there are great pilots going on here. There are, you know, partnerships that are already in place. And we really saw through their application that uh, those, you know, two districts are really ripe for um, not just one or two, but district-wide mm. greening of school grounds, which is really exciting. And added to that is here in Georgia, in the last legislative session, um, Senator Sheikh Rahman um, put forward forth a bill to create a Senate learning study committee on outdoor learning. And uh, that passed with huge bipartisan support. And so that's going to be starting this year as well. So we're really hopeful that actually here in Georgia, we could have an example where we're showing local momentum, great partnerships, you know, local foundations and businesses are involved. And then the state can come in and hopefully lend their shoulder to the wheel as well and and, and Mm -hmm. provide, you know, hopefully 
hopefully funding and policy support so this can um, you know grow across the state. Right, and, and we're saying also that's like broad bar bipartisan support. Absolutely, you know, because we're like nature does not take sides. Exactly, like right. it's amazing. You know, this is for all of our kids, and it's yes. really, really for the future. Again, trying to get these kids to their potential. That's right. Um, by getting inside, can you tell me like um, one question I had was like greening a public schoolyard? Yes. Yeah. What does that exactly what is that? mean? Yeah, it's yeah. a great question, Monica, because it's like, what is that like a garden? I wasn't sure. I was like, uh, and, is that well, grass? so the first thing that I'll just mention is that. You know, we think about the land around a school as like belonging to the school. That's actually public land. Hmm. You know, it belongs to the public. Mm -hmm. And we don't think about that land around a school as part of the learning environment for our children, which you know, kind of a huge miss mm-hmm. and, and a huge opportunity. The other thing that's really important to know is that public schools in the United States um, in most communities are one of the top three landholders. So wow. like in Chicago, Chicago Public Schools is the second largest landholder in that's the city incredible. of Chicago. So if we thought differently about how that land is used, imagine the impact we could have. So... So to answer your question, Monica, what does that look like? So we can think first about, you know, sort of the environmental pieces, green infrastructure, stormwater capture, native plantings, tree canopy that can, you know, um, uh, buffer communities from heat islands. So mm-hmm. um, we can we can sort of think about, you know, the creation of flyways for, you know, native species and all of that on the school grounds. And we can, and like with the green infrastructure, Houston is doing this to help with flooding and, yeah, and really, you know, yeah. girding themselves uh, for the impacts of climate change and using their school grounds to do that. Then you think about what goes on top of that, you know, Ball fields, sure, that's great, but that's usually where we stop. Mm-hmm. Um, gardens for growing food. Mm, um, yeah. You know, in in uh, Atlanta, you know, uh, urban forestry is a huge deal, but we can do that on all of our school grounds, and mm-hmm. kids can be involved in growing food for you know for the cafeteria, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, outdoor classrooms. Hiking trails. I mean, we we know that kids that are not involved in competitive sports mm-hmm. kind of stop being active if they're not still engaged in that in middle school. Why don't we have hiking trails? Why don't we have bike paths? Why don't we have places where you know kids can be active outside and you know hang hammocks, climb trees, mm-hmm. do that kind of stuff? I love that. So it's really there are these multifunctional spaces. They can be. They really should be available to the school community during the day and the surrounding community. Community mm-hmm. outside of school hours, and those are the kinds of um, schoolyards that we look to support. But we really try and help folks imagine, just you know, just open up their imagination about what mm-hmm. these spaces could be. We have such a limited view. Yeah, I, I absolutely. often think, you know, if you look at a many many school grounds in this country, you'll see a slab of blacktop. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're lucky, a basketball hoop and maybe some, you know, playground equipment, usually a chain link fence around it. And what I often say is if you put a lion inside of that space, you would say that is not a suitable mm. environment for an animal in a zoo. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. And yet we send our children there every day right. and think that's, that's such fine. a great point. So sad. Yeah. It? I mean, I'm imagining my 
My you childhood. Know, my yeah. black top. And, you <laughs> know, exactly and it's like maybe way. there was some green, but that was a ball field or, you right. know, but. Mm-hmm. And it's often turf grass, which yeah. is sure. fine. I mean, mm-hmm. and that's a start. But sure. just think like if you could have trees and native plantings and so many other things mm-hmm. there, then it creates such a more interesting yeah, you can space. educate the kids on what all the different species are. And I love the sort of food forest idea or, you know, the green garden. That's amazing. Absolutely. That's, that's the way for growth, don't you think? Like yeah. when they go forward, right. like that's right. how we're going to grow mean, and understand like what we want to protect. Right. Uh, it was important. And those kids are going to want to say, I, I, I grew my, my garden here and I want to protect the land here and I know it better than ever before. And those children will hopefully grow up to be activists and mm-hmm. um, enthusiasts and environmentalists to really protect exactly. uh, the planet going forward, right. which is really we, important. We touched on, um, or we have touched on the, in, in other episodes, you know, sort of like what is an ethical city? And mm. I think we've all sort of come to the conclusion that, you know, having access to nature is one aspect of, you know, making an equitable, equitable city. Um, and so I would be curious, you know, obviously greening schoolyards is a great part of it. And I was shocked. I'm still shocked to hear that they're top three landowners because that's a great opportunity to, to do something interesting. Um, but like, how do you think, you know, Children in Nature Network is working, um, you know, on the parks side? So like, we've talked a little bit about public education, like, are you, what are some of the strategies that we can sort of learn about? How do we make our parks, you know, more equitable? Do we need more of them? Do they need to be bigger? Like what, what needs to happen there in our cities? Yeah. And I think, um, I might back up one Mm -hmm. minute here, Monica, just to explain, you know, the Children and Nature Network in the terms of the way in which we work. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't provide direct programs that connect kids to nature. So we are a national network organization. We have staff all over the country. And we really think there are three key things that are kind of needed to sort of move this movement forward, if you will. One is fostering belief that a connection to nature is critical to children's healthy development. So fostering belief, we do that through storytelling um, and through research. And so we we collect and curate research. We have a tremendous library on our website that's available and free to anyone to use. And then we, you know, we really think about the strategic communications and how mm-hmm. do we get the stories out there about it and 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 lifting up stories about, you know who's leading the movement and, you know, how, how that's happening. The second thing we think about is really impacting core systems Mm -hmm. that could have an influence on kids' daily connection to nature, Mm -hmm. right? So, you know, again, municipal government, Mm -hmm. like how we plan cities, how we think about that, um, you know, how we, you know, schools and how we think about that. Um, we, we work a lot in the youth development field and folks, you know, we're, we're working with uh, social workers to help influence, um, how they do their practice and taking kids outdoors, um, as part of, you know, regular part of therapy. So there are all of these disciplines that have grown up mm-hmm. around supporting youth, reaching their full potential. And somewhere along the way, they all miss the memo mm-hmm. about nature. That makes sense. Right. And so our job is kind of like, how do we like re- rehook nature back into 
<laughs> everywhere, Absolutely. you know, kids, you know, are, are moving about in their lives. Um, and then the third thing is really around, you know, how do we help more people see themselves as part of this movement as, you know, that connection to nature is relevant to them and their lives and their work. Amazing to me that there are people out there that don't, but there, <laughs> this is where we are. So we host the biggest international conference on this topic in the world. It will be in Atlanta in May of 2022. So, um, hope folks will join us for that. And, you know, we create all kinds of tools and resources and things to help, um, whether it's municipal leaders or parents, you know, mm-hmm. we have the gamut. And so I hope folks will check out our, our website for those free tools and, and resources. So that's, that's the, that's kind of the way we do our work. So getting back to your question about, you know, what do cities need to do? Um, I can, I can report on, you know, we've been working with, um, cities for the last almost decade, mm-hmm. more than 50 cities around the country that have signed up to say, I'm interested in looking at, you know, what does equitable access look like in our community and how might we support that? And the kinds of strategies and solutions that we're seeing folks come up with, the green schoolyards is a huge one mm-hmm. because especially, you know, you think of some place like Patterson, New Jersey, uh, they're not making new land, you know, that's very developed. So the school grounds actually become, that's public land that's a space where like, oh, we can reimagine how that's being used. So that's that's a big one. But also things like park library partnerships, like using a library mm. as a jumping off point for nature connection, nature backpacks that can be checked out of the library. Oh, I um, love that. You know, um, th- I know in St. Paul, Minnesota, there's a great, there's a youth group that, you know, started gardens in, um, in a nearby park and they put um, uh, uh, pollinator gardens on top of the That's of great. the library and they just and they've hosted campouts Amazing. in the park things like that mm-hmm. so libraries are a really great place i think because communities are used to going to libraries sure. and they trust libraries. Mm. And if libraries are sort of encouraging folks to go outside, that's really a positive. We're seeing early child care centers, like how do you, you know, like the preschools, mm-hmm. the littles, like how do you start to green those? Some cities have taken that on. Some cities are doing outdoor bills of rights um, and they're creating a platform that says this is, we agree as a community that it is a child's right to have have connection to nature. And that can become by itself, it can be a platitude and mm-hmm. nothing's behind it. But mm-hmm. it can also be a starting point to say, hey, look, this these are our values. Now we need to live up to that. And it provides a platform for city mm-hmm. leaders to kind of keep that work moving forward. Um, so those are, um, you know, just some examples. I love that. And, and Outdoor Bill of Rights, is that um, on your website as well? So people they can are, take a look at it. Can they then ask their city to sort of implement this? Absolutely. Anybody okay. can do that. You can take the language and adopt it for your own city. There's, you know, just take it, run with it, um, for sure. Are many cities coming to you now and saying, how do we implement or do you guide them through the program or you just say, here are the resources to help you? Well, we provide deep technical assistance and Great. peer learning. We've created mm-hmm. networks so that, you know, folks working in Houston can talk to the folks in Atlanta or San Francisco or Grand Rapids, Michigan or Louisville. Um, because these folks that are working in these communities, 
a lot of them, they face the same kind of barriers mm-hmm. and challenges and knowing that there's somebody that they can call. Oh, I remember so-and-so. She dealt with that. Sure. I'm going to call her and see if I can, you know, get some ideas on how to, on how to get through this together. That's so great. Yeah. yeah. I love it. What is like some of the biggest success stories that you've sort of seen over the past eight years that you've been with yeah. children's? Um, there's so many, but I think, um, you know, one example I would say is in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, you know, great, great, great community. Um, but they really recognized that they, they had an equity problem mm. in, you know, their, their, particularly their black and Latinx communities were mm-hmm. just not using parks, not getting out into them. A lot of, you know, neighborhood folks were saying like, we don't feel safe in our Mm. parks, et cetera. Mm. And so the mayor really made a commitment and just created alignment throughout their city. And um, actually it was a young woman that had been through one of our youth leadership trainings (laughs) who kind of ended up leading the effort across the city. And they, they did select greening of school grounds as one of their, uh, you know, kind of core strategies after, you know, going out to the community, asking them what they wanted, all of that. And so they are, you know, they are breaking ground. They have, uh, and, and the mayor, when she is out speaking, I mean, she's talking about nature connection as a pillar of what makes Grand Rapids a wonderful place to live. Fantastic. And so that's a, that's a sign, I mm-hmm. think, when mm-hmm. we were starting to hear mayors in their, in their talking points. It's not just, it's not just, you know, we have great parks and whatever. It's that we really recognize that throughout our city, this is an important aspect and that kids feel, you know, welcome here. And so that nature connection is interesting. I'm always fascinated with language. And so, mm-hmm. you know, all the work that you're doing and all the research, like, is that sort of the simplest way to sort of break it down for families and for municipalities is just say that? It is. We, we often also, um, just use the word outdoors mm-hmm. because sometimes for a lot of communities, nature can feel sure. um, far away. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so we often talk about, you know, let's just, just get outside, you yep. know, and, and, but I do think that there are opportunities for us to think about, you know, how do we increase the biodiversity of the spaces that we have? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, parks are great. Um, very often, you know, parks focus almost exclusively on kind of the recreation component and sure. don't really think about the other opportunities. And mm-hmm. I've often thought about this. I don't know, you know, it's like when my son was little, you know, take him over to soccer practice mm-hmm. and, you know, all the parents were just sitting there watching their kids play soccer because there's nothing for them to do in the park right? and not, and even just practicing, like, you know, you don't need to sit yeah. and watch your kid practice. It's mm-hmm. not a game, but, um, but there aren't, you know, walking trails or, mm-hmm. you know, just rock climbing or just interesting things to look at in parks. And so there's so much opportunity for us to add, you know, more biodiversity to those spaces. And so mm-hmm. we're seeing cities kind of take up some of that work. That's great. Do you have, and not to make you um, choose a favorite, but do you have like a model park or some preferences that you're like, oh, this one's doing it really well across the country or I mean, something? There are so many examples. Mm-hmm. There's a great park in Cincinnati, Ohio, that's doing, you know, that's really awesome. Um, you know, and I, you know, Grand Rapids, again, like their school grounds in some regards are sort of like parks, mm, you know, yeah. like, and, and that's, that's a whole frame that I think is really, you know, that we're seeing cities sort of 
take up and school mm-hmm. districts take up is not just thinking of that land as you know, the schoolyard, but as, mm-hmm. as parks. Yeah. I love the idea. And I know you're going to ask questions just of like, I know so many things I want to ask. No, no, the, <laughs> like, the, um, the reimagining that like, yes, sometimes we, the greater we, um, you know, we can't imagine it. So then mm-hmm. we can't build it. And if we don't have models or, you know, templates, then exactly. we're like, well, we're just stuck with the asphalt and my soccer field. Um, so I'd love that you're doing that, but I'm like, yeah. no, that's exactly. So, that's what I was just going to say, because you think about like cities like, I live in New York City or what's San Francisco San Francisco or Los Angeles doing? Are they getting involved? They because are. I'm, you know, here I am in New York City or I'm a New York City person. I don't mm-hmm. even know yeah. if they are. Well, so New York is not part of our particular work, but there is a lot of great work going on in New York with other, you know, with City Parks Alliance and Trust for Public Land mm-hmm. and other groups like that that are doing great work there. Um, you know, San Francisco actually is a really great example. They have one of the best... Um, green schoolyards programs in the country. So they really have done a great job and they've really now started to tackle early childhood. And mm. they, you know, and this is another, um, I think, I mean, I think it's a celebration point and, and something that's, that's hopeful. Um, so San Francisco now through their work with the National League of Cities and Children and Nature Network have a children and nature coordinator at the city. Oh, wow. Whoa. Who okay, shows wait. up every day oh, yeah. and that's what she thinks Step about. Back. You more and, about this. Yeah. And she's, and so, you know, through the work that, that we did with them initially, we, we, in addition to technical assistance, we provide some pass through dollars to the city and they mm. decided to hire a coordinator and now they're funding that ongoing. Wow. And she's just doing incredible work. And so that's a great example. And we're seeing cities that, you know, that do hire that coordinator. Mm-hmm. It makes a huge difference. Grand Rapids did that. Uh, I believe Louisville and Kentucky did that. And so we're just seeing, you know, some really interesting things come out of that because of course it takes time and sure. energy, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, you need an expert on your staff right. to help you. That's yeah. right. That's right. So I'm super excited about the League of Cities. I think that's really interesting. And, and um, I think as citizens, we can probably, I don't know, if we can put pressure on our, um, you know, um, I don't know, city council or whoever to become part of the League of Cities. Like, how do mm-hmm. we get them more involved in that? Yeah. Well, I will say that. So there's two things I would offer. We will have uh, um, uh, requests for proposals okay. coming mm-hmm. out mm-hmm. in the coming months mm-hmm. for cities who can apply to be part of um, a technical assistance uh, cohort over mm-hmm. the next three years. So I would say watch for that. Go to our website. Go to the League of Cities website and look for that those okay. announcements. Great. So that's uh, – and absolutely, citizens can bring that forward to mm-hmm. their elected officials and say, we should do this. And and that that's a thing to do. But I would also say that just beyond – you know, it's great if you can get kind of all that support, right, for your city. But there are so many tools and resources out there. Our website has them. Other folks, um, you know, have great resources as well. And I would say it's always a good time to call your council member and say, you know, this is really important to me. What is the city doing around ensuring that all children have access to nature? What are we doing in our parks to ensure that it's, you know, safe, that we're, you know, really thinking about, you know, creating more biodiverse spaces? You know, what, what about gardens? We know that there are communities that don't have access to fresh food. How can we, how can we solve some of that by using some of our public land? People can go and do that. Um, we do have, we've actually got some great infographics 
on our website that summarize the research. So you can make the case with, mm-hmm. you know, points that are backed up by research. And that. so that sometimes helps folks because yeah. I think, you know, sometimes people are afraid that if they go in there, they're going to feel stupid. So we've tried sure. to create some, some, some helpful tools and just ways of talking about it with folks. Yeah. Cause I'm sure it's overwhelming to some people that have never really thought about nature uh, and green spaces this way. And so they think, how do, how can I make an impact if I'm just one person in a small town? How, what am I going to do to make a difference? And if you have all this information, these infographics to say, okay, city council member, how can we as a collective yeah. make our children healthier and better for the community? Um, uh, at large. It's important. And that, you know, I, I've never met an elected official who's like, yeah, I don't care about kids. <laughs> you know? I can't imagine so anyone saying that. You know what I mean? It's, it's a kind of a soft, I mean, and I mean, I don't like kids and I don't like nature. Nobody ever says that. So. <laughs> yeah. It's a win-win then right there. We're good. I like that for so all city councils. <laughs> yes. Listen in right now. Here's so, an easy policy yeah. we can put into place. Easy peasy stuff. So is there anything that we haven't covered that you want to talk about and share? Is there anything upcoming. We definitely want to get people Mm. to your website, sign up for the newsletter, come to the conference that you'll meet next year. But like, what, what other big things you want to share with us? Yeah. You know, at the beginning, we were talking a little bit about, you know, equity Mm -hmm. and, you know, how, uh, how we know that, um, we know that there are many barriers for all children, but there are some systemic barriers um, for particular communities. And, um, you know, what we're seeing is actually that the same systems of inequity that impact, you know, Black, Indigenous, Latinx, Asian, you know, other communities of color around housing, education, et cetera, sure. are present in the distribution and accessibility of parks and green space. Mm-hmm. So there it's there's some intentionality behind that. Um, and so, in, in fact, you know, we know that, um, for example, like back in the 50s, when they were starting to integrate public pools, mm-hmm. um, many communities across this country, rather than integrate them, shut them down, mm-hmm. including the parks that surrounded the pools. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, so then, you know, everybody is kind of losing out Mm -hmm. actually in that case, but we're living with the, you know, sort of the fallout from that to this day. So I think, you know, and there's a perception problem. I think a lot of people, for example, I mean, there's a, an idea out there that black people don't like the outdoors. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, there is a repre- representation problem, I would say. Mm-hmm. But when you actually look at the facts, black people, indigenous people have been leading in the environmental movement since forever mm-hmm. and just aren't seen or mm-hmm. recognized. In fact, I'd love to just read to you because um, Outside Magazine did a, an article recently. Um, it was titled, We're Here, You Just Don't See Us. Mm. And uh, Latria Graham wrote that. And she this quote, I think, is important. She says, African-Americans don't always go where white people do. Places like swimming pools, beaches, and parks used to be segregated, and some outdoor activities were out of reach if you were poor or lived in an inner city. National parks weren't especially welcoming either. Many were created as an escape from urban sprawl at a time when urban was shorthand for black and immigrants. 
So I think, you know, it's important for us to recognize that history, to mm-hmm. acknowledge it, and to engage with communities to educate you know, for white people to educate ourselves about who those leaders are. I'm actually, there's, we've got a great resource on our website about um, some of those uh, black leaders that that we did as part of Black History Month. So folks can go and check that out and learn about some incredible people. Um, Youth Outside has a great, has a lot of great resources about that as well. Um, but I would also say, in addition to, you know, recognizing that people of color already exist in the outdoors, of course they do. They're human mm-hmm. beings. I mean, it's just, it's yeah. ludicrous. Mm-hmm. But, um, but we also do need to prioritize equity as we think about creating new parks, those green schoolyards, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So it's a both and, I think, right. around, um, and, and that we, you know, that the lens that we look at, like, well, where are we going to invest first? I mean, very often, truthfully, where we invest first is where the property taxes are highest. Mm-hmm. Well, that if you look at, you know, redlining and keeping black people from owning homes, you know, the, this is all tied together. So that is why it's so important that we, that we really intentionally, you know, invest in those communities that have been systemically disinvested in. Definitely. And I think the history is so important, mm-hmm. like you're making a point of, because if we don't understand context, mm-hmm. right, right, you know, our lens is blurred, you That's know, right. and so that totally helps. And, and I think um, you had told me and, and, you know, the policy of really hurting everybody mm-hmm. is yes. something that I think people need to recognize. So yes. when we create these policies and these terrible racist policies that happened years back and are still happening now with, I mean, mm-hmm. everything that's happening with voting rights, um, it's going to also disenfranchise other people. Sure. Um, it's going to hurt everybody. That's and right. so it, we really have to be thoughtful um, and I love that you brought that up. Um, and I love that quote. Mm-hmm. Well, and I would, I'll say, um, I would love to invite your listeners, Jennifer, to um, join us on June 10th. We're doing a webinar with uh, Heather McGee and uh, Dr. Gail Christopher. And Heather is the author of The Sum of Us, oh. How Racism uh, Hurts Everyone and mm-hmm. How We Can Prosper Together. And so she's going to be really diving into these issues in some depth and really talking about what does a multiracial, uh, multicultural um, movement look like mm-hmm. in this space and really recognizing that, um, yeah, that truly these policies do hurt everyone. Um, mm-hmm. They impact I'm so glad you brought that up because Monica, I've been talking so much about this lately. And the fact that you actually said that is exactly the Mm -hmm. core of the problem. It's hurting everybody. So we need to fundamentally look at how we come together to make the outdoors a place for all across the board. Mm -hmm. And I think that the even higher level is with climate. Mm -hmm. You know, again, this is not a partisan issue. This is something that we're all involved in. um, And we have to, you know, reconnect people with nature. So they'll really understand what we're trying to save. Yeah. And like you just said it too, like, I think we get so much learning out of being in nature. Nature teaches diversity and inclusion and like we're all welcome you just Mm -hmm. need to be present for it and that there's so much diversity to be found and to be learned and to be taught in nature and they are all super connected to all of it it's beautiful Mm -hmm. it is it really is 
Well, thank you for joining us today, Sarah. <laughs> I kind of want to stay. Well, we, could, we could be here all night. Either, but I think our producers are going to tell us. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But this has been um, so lovely. We yeah, really this has been a joy. Definitely, we'll join you on the tenth. Yes. Um, as listeners, wonderful. Yeah, and we'll put that all on the website, and um, definitely head out to Children Nature Network's website mm-hmm. and follow. Follow the new, uh, sign up for the newsletter. Newsletter, your Instagram, yeah, yeah everything. All it's all the same, correct? It's all the same. Yeah. Okay, good. Well, we're going to put them in our show notes. Absolutely. Wonderful. Thanks, yeah. Sarah. Thanks. Thanks, Sarah. All right. Okay. So, how do we want to wrap that up? I don't even know where to start. We ended on such a compelling note, but going back to the beginning of our conversation, the thing that really stuck out to me was the effect of nature on brain development and how a lack of access to nature in childhood affects the development of white matter in the brain. I mean, that is so scary to think about. Yes. And I really think what was driven home for me is that we need to be advocating for green schoolyards and creating more welcoming and accessible parks. These things are so crucial for the health and well-being for all of us, but particularly at an early age. Oh my gosh, 100%. And I guess one silver lining of COVID is that we don't really have to bend over backwards to make a public health argument for these things anymore. It's right there in the open now. Yes, and it's amazing to hear that cities are starting to hire children and nature coordinators. It reminds me of the city ethicist we talked about with Tim Beatley. And it makes me really hopeful. Um, But I do want our listeners to sort of take away that it is up to all of us to not only understand the benefits, but to sort of educate each other about the barriers and access to nature and to advocate for changes and reform at our community and city levels. Luckily, Children and Nature Network has some incredible resources on their website for anyone who doesn't quite know where to start. Or if you're listening and you work in municipal role, there's also a great toolkit that will help you begin the process. You can find all that in our show notes. Well, that was great, Jennifer. Yeah, I feel really good and energized and actually very hopeful. But we've also got a lot of work cut out for us. Totally. Talk to you in two weeks. See you soon.